0: going to get through chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 tonight. The book of Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2 most of it. Before I begin with the message as I always do, uh, let me pray, let me pray for the message. Tonight. Lord And be the one that directs the words that will be spoken tonight by father. God, and minister to all of us. Lord Jesus. Forever, wherever we're. already in your comfortable chair, or if you're on the couch, or still having dinner, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep, I know it's kind of, kind of, you know, a relaxing moment now that we're, we've been, you know, doing live streams, but don't fall asleep, let's follow along, if you have your Bible with you, read along with me, I know that here we usually by now, uh, be standing to read together, but follow along with me, Ezra chapter 1, now, in the first year, and we're only going to read chapter 1, not 2, that'll be too much, even though we're going to get into chapter 2, now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, what the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the man of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the few will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then ahead head to the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold with goods and livestock and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put it in the temple of his god, and Cyrus king of Persia brought them out by the hand of Mitredon, the treasurer, and counted them to bazar the prince of Judah. This is the number of them: thirty gold platters, one thousand silver platters, twenty-nine knives, thirty gold basins, four hundred and ten silver basins of a similar kind, and one thousand other articles all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shehzbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Last week, we left off at verse 6. And we saw how the hand of God, he, God, had stirred the heart of a pagan king. That is, in order that he would release his people, God's people, from captivity. He ordained them to rebuild the king. King Cyrus ordained them to rebuild the temple. And also, not only did he ordain them and release them, but he also provided for the needs, the needs of 50,000 plus people that went out, that answered the call of God. Yeah, this number, 50,000 people, sounds like a huge number, 50,000. But in comparison to the number of people that actually were taken into captivity, considering how many millions of people were in Jerusalem prior to the captivity, it is only about 1.5%. 1.5% of the people, all the Israelites, that is a very... God doesn't need numbers. God only needs a few, a handful of people who are faithful to say, Choose me, God. Use me, God. I will go. And God honored these people for answering. Yes, God put it in their hearts. And yes, they were willing to go. God called them. But he honored that calling. Because God can call anybody. But even the Persian king, a pagan king, and they could have ignored it. Us, we Christians, should be able to recognize the voice of God like this. But, just like the people of Israel, a very small percentage, sadly enough, only answered the call. Ahead of us in this study, we're going to see how the people arrived in Jerusalem. They were called. They went out when they arrived in Jerusalem to do God's work again. This is God's work. They were all faithful. And they were excited, yes. But when they got there to the city, all they could find was rubble, ruins. Nothing but destroyed cities, nothing but destroyed walls. And obviously, soon after, the discouragement sets in. They will set in. And even to amongst themselves, they themselves, where are we going to start? How is this God's will? Looking around, how is this God's will? Did we hear wrong? Was that not God's was that not God's voice? Are we even at the right place? The problem we're asking is this doesn't look like what it's supposed to be. Now, recently uh, over at our old house update sixteen oh four were supposed to be taking down the carport and of that porch. And I believe was, you know, most of us went and little Joel looks around and he's saying, I explained to them what we're going to do, how we're going to tear it down. And he says, looking around like, oh, dad, this is a lot of work. Well, this is a lot of work. How are we going to finish all this? But so immediately, he thought that, w- that I was bringing out tools. So he said, you know what? Just grab a hammer. Everybody just grab a hammer. And let's just start hammering something. Let's get it done quick. That is how serving God is. You look around when you're serving, or even or before you begin serving, and say, where do I begin? What do I do? This, You know, simply pick up a rag, start dusting something, pick up a broom, start sweeping something. serve, just serve. Don't pay attention to anybody else. You serve. It's like this people, 50,000 people, 1.5% of the population of Israel answer God's call. you so you pick up a rag, and you know, by, by you serving, next thing you know, after serving, you're going to begin to see the progress. You're going to begin to see God blessing you in your life. So we're going to pick it up in verse 7. 1, Nehemiah says, oh, I'm sorry, of book of Ezra, because Nehemiah will come into the scene later on. King Cyrus also brought out the, rev- the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithredah, the treasurer, and captured them out to Bazar. According to 2 Kings chapter 25, 2 Kings chapter 25, Nebuchadnezzar had completely destroyed the city. He and the Babylonian army had completely destroyed the city, burning the walls down, burning the, the buildings, burning the houses, burning them into almost powder, these walls of this great city, and not only that, but he took all the wealth of the temple of God, the temple of the king, and the people's, the whatever you know wealth they probably had. Even those who had very little, he took it from them. Now, go with me to, to Second Kings chapter twenty-five. Second. Verse one of twenty five says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against all against it all around. So the city was besieged until so the eleventh year of the king Sedekiah by the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. In other words, they had surrounded the entire city. Because eventually the people were gonna give up saying, We don't have any more food, people are dying in here. That's what happened. People were dying. There was no food, people of the land for the food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was walking through and all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans, Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Sedekiah before his eyes. In other words, the king was watching as his family was being killed, murdered. Then they killed the sons of Sedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Sedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. The very last thing he's able to see. the Babylonians war. They will let you see your family dying, not necessarily you, but the family. And they will take the guys out of his people. On the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, Neb- Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the King of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's houses, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. The Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away, captured the rest of the people who remained in the city. And the the defectors who had deserted the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor and the land of, of the vine as vine dressers and farmers, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, and the carts and the bronze seed that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. They all took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests... The firepans of the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, and the captain of the guard took away the two pillars, one sea, and the cards which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all the articles, beyond measure. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital on it was a bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network of the pomegranates all around it the capital world front. The second pillar was the same, with the network. In other words, they took everything and they destroyed the city on top of that. They took everything, they destroyed the city. And it was so horrible with siege. This was so horrible because not only did they kill the people in front of their eyes, the family, and then they gouged their eyes out. And then they, they took everything, they destroyed the, the city now the treasurer here says that he had an inventory of everything all these items were handed over to Sheshbazar, the appointed leader of Judah now the name Sheshbazar is mentioned four times in the book of Ezra but not in any other book of the Old Testament, why is that? many believe that was just another name given to Zerubbabel the governor of Judah. Now Zerubbabel in which makes sense, Sarubabal, the name Zerubbabel means son of rubble, because he was born in captivity. So it makes sense that Zerubbabel and Sheshbazar is the same person, because again, Sheshbazar is not mentioned in any other book, but in connection to this of the scriptures but Zerubbabel is mentioned in other books of the Old Testament according to Second Chronicles chapter 3 verse 16 through 19 he was the grandson of King Jehoiakim so in other words he was a descendant of King David now I'm hoping that you're able to see this I'm going to show a timeline of what Book of Ezra, and the Book of Nehemiah, and how, which in between Chapter Six of Ezra and Chapter Seven of Ezra, there is uh, the Book of Esther. Let me see if I can put it up, and you're able to see it. One second. There it is. Hoping that you can see this. So, I know that you cannot see my cursor, but you can see that the seventy-year captivity takes place. Then, following after that, Zerubbabel or Shesh Bazar comes to rebuild the the temple with fifty thousand people, and obviously they get discouraged, they get bummed out. So God knows that this was going to happen, so He already stirred the hearts of, of the prophet Haggai, and then eventually Zechariah comes into the scene to encourage the people to continue. Now, this goes all the way through chapter six of Ezra. There is approximately a 60-year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of where we know that the book of Esther takes place between 483 and 473 BC. And then after Esther, chapter 7, now Ezra himself comes back with another 1,000 people to continue the, the work between the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, there's a 12-year gap. The people are still trying to get on their feet. Discouragement comes along. And then eventually, God moves on the part of Nehemiah to come in and rebuild the walls. And obviously, we know that Nehemiah leaves for a little while because he's serving the king. He's the the king's cup there. We've already done the study. And then people but also to warn them because they fall away again. Warns them and this is the last time God speaks to them and then there is a four hundred year silence. God does not no longer speak to them because they've chosen to disobey God. are awaiting his second return to earth. Now continue reading in in, Ezra 1 verse 9. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters speaking about the articles that were taken. 30 gold platters, 1000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these chefs are took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, for all of you who were doing the math in your head, or you probably are going to come back and do the math from the book, you can see that when you add up these numbers, it adds up to 2,490 were taken but verse 11 says that it's 5400 pieces it is not a contradiction of the previous verse it is simply some you know at the end of verse 11 is summarizing the other articles that were also taken so 5400 pieces were uh, accounted for now obviously because there's other items Furniture, uh, utensils as we saw in the book of 2nd Kings chapter 25 there was other items that were also taken from the temple of God 2nd Kings chapter 24 verse 13 says that all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house were carried off. in other words they were taken to Babylon but in this list there are several items item mentioned not mentioned such as the furniture the tables that were part of the, you know, the the rituals but there's one item that is the most important item that is not accounted for that is not mentioned here neither is it mentioned in the Old Testament in, I'm sorry in the book of second kings prior to their captivity it mentioned being taken in other words it's not accounted for in the inventory get into captivity or after the captivity do you know what that is that is the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant and from this point on or that point on in 2nd piece chapter 24 from that point on we don't see we don't hear about the ark of the covenant until the book of revelation chapter 9 verse 19 after the seventh prophet it sounded and the heavens opened. In my uneducated opinion, this is just me, this is just me, you can throw it away after you hear what I have to say, in just my uneducated opinion, prior to Babylon taking this people captive and coming for the treasures, God miraculously took it and is keeping it in heaven preserved serve and bring it back for the people, until the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, so even though Nebuchadnezzar took all the wealth, took all the articles of the temple, it is found, uh, not, it isn't found, in, in those of you who have watched the, the, the movie, um, there's some scholars that believe that, and I have, some, I have seen some documentaries who, that are very credible, but then again, I personally believe that this is what God did, but some scholars believe that the priests, the high priests, already by then had hidden it, uh, that they had uh, tunnels under the foundation of the temple. Uh, now, in those days, they used to be aqueducts, so they were under the temple. And this is where they believe that they hid the Ark of the Covenant. In one of these passages underground, we don't have no credible scripture. There's nothing that can back it up. So my personal opinion is just that. God took it. Now let's continue reading in chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity. Of those who had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Now, not everybody that was taken captive obviously came back because some of them obviously died in captivity. Some of them were already too old to come back uh, from captivity, uh, but some of them did come back. Now, here's a little quick note that says in verse 1, the beginning, it says, now, just like it shows us in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, now, giving insight that it's a continuing conversation from the book of Second Chronicles, the ending of Second Chronicles, now, Eshra is the writer of Second Chronicles, and the book of Eshra, obviously, these, these are the people who, again, were taken captive, and some of them probably were that old after 70 years, because they were probably young when they were taken captive, and they did return with these 50,000 plus people back to rebuild their the city, back to rebuild the, the, the Temple of God. They chose to take that risk. It wasn't just a, 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 a one-mile trip down the road. It was a 900 plus journey from Babylon that took months for them to travel on foot. It wasn't like you just rent a chartered bus or rent uh, or, or buy a ticket for the Greyhound and take a ride or they couldn't just jump on Uber and take a ride down to Jerusalem They had to go on foot. So it was a 900 mile trip that took months Google. If you do a quick math, uh, a 900-mile trip—that is, you know, a few meters of climbing up, climbing down—it it would take a, take somebody with a good health, with stopping for little breaks, approximately between 14 to 20 days to travel. But that's just a person, an individual person. These people were taking not only their belongings. But also all the free will offerings, in other words, everything that people have willingly given them, their neighbors that were not choosing to go to this journey. Um, just imagine I'm sure you 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 have taken a trip, you know, not far from here, you know, maybe just to Austin or you've gone to Houston or Dallas and you've carried the family. If you were to go by yourself, you know where you're going to stop and you're going to continue. You know how quick you're going to get there. But so when you take the family, just simply trying to load them into the vehicle, it takes some time. And then everybody needs to, to stop at Bucky's. Everybody needs to stop at one of those mile markers, uh, I mean the historical markers, to see what that was. And it's going to take some time. People need to eat. People get tired of sitting down. So... So similar to them, they had to start make um, stuff, pit stuff. Now, so these people that chose not to go and gave all these free will offerings, you know, some of them obviously did not give them anything. They simply chose to not to go. They were too comfortable being in the world. Babylon It's a representation of the world. They were too comfortable being there. But those who were probably too old, Daniel, the Prophet Daniel was too old to travel by now. But even he, he was called by God to be there in Babylon still. These people who chose to financially support in one way or another with articles or animals of sacrifice, they became partners in the work of God. These who who stayed behind were be willing to give all the they sacrifice, and this is how ministry works. Not everybody is called to, to physically serve. Not everybody is called to teach. Not everybody is called to pastor. Not everybody is called to, to lead worship. Some of us are called to sacrifice our time, time serving the body. even Jesus himself said if you want to follow me count the cost count the cost, what does that mean? we report that, but we don't really understand what that means and that, it's not just in serving but also following him, calling yourself a true Christian count the cost and again, some of us are called to sacrifice time, time. not as volunteers, this is not as volunteers. God doesn't need volunteers. God doesn't need somebody that they can fit God into their schedule. Sacrifice. And they has to be willing. A willing sacrifice, just like these people gave unselfish, which means those who serve sacrifice their time. They have to do it willingly, they have to be loyal to the ministry because they hear the calling of God and answer the calling of God not meander yeah, you know, I'll pray about it if the stars and the moon align then I will serve now, here's something to really think about these people literally give up their lives they give up their lives for the calling of God they had a life and they probably had work, they probably had businesses, some of them, most of, actually all these people that left, the 50,000 plus that left, they counseled their kids' vocal practices, I they didn't have vocal practices, I'm just, you know, trying to add a little bit of humor, they counseled choir practice. they counseled their, their recital practices, they gave up NFL tickets, they, they counseled their Netflix accounts they weren't going to be watching uh, the council, they, they they knew they were not going to be able to gather with the family that was going to be staying behind, and on top of all that, God blessed them for answering the call, and moving forward with what God had called them to, to do, with the church as a whole, sadly enough, all, oh, but a high percentage, it's like these people, a high percentage has to be there to give up two hours, just two hours, on Sunday, of the 168 hours from the whole week, 168 hours of a seven-day week, in two hours, James, who was more spoken, more spoken than Peter was, the so-called Christian believers, and it is also for us. He rebuked them because he would tell them, you know, you call yourself Christian, and actually, you don't to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2. this see what he was saying about these people who call themselves Christians, and just, just say the words, but in action, the way they, they act, the way they speak, the way they conduct, you know. Are not Chapter 2 of the book of James, starting in verse 14. What does a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and is destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed, for the body. What does the prophet? Does also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do you want to know of foolishness? is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rachel that the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For the body without the spirit is dead; so faith without works is dead also. Works, actions. In other words, you're not saved by the works. But because you are saved, you have faith, you do the work. Not somebody has to beg you, somebody has to put your name on, somebody has to come talk to you. Would you? No. You do this because you're faithful, you are answering the call of God. During this time that that we're spending on, you know, the distancing, the, the lockdown. different ways that you can serve you can serve people by calling them directly not just a simple text simple texts are great calling them directly hey brother, hey sister, what do you mean how can I pray for how can I serve you right now I want to say thank you to those three families three different families that have Those three families know exactly what is going on with our family. And we're not, I'm not, you know, Roe with me or, you know, poor little Joe. No, no, no. no. But because they know exactly what's going on in our family. And our family is not just, you know, my wife and I and my little ones. it, It expands to those older children of mine that are also part of my family and their families no, those three families, no, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for staying connected, not just through texts, not just through calls, but even visits to our home, I know you're going to say, well, you're not supposed to be visiting, no, it was a quick visit, quick visits just in front of the house, just to simply come up and say, hey, I'm still here for you, we're here for you, and me personally, I'm here for you too, how can I serve you? a message or send me a text, I will return your call, and I'm not saying thank you to the child because they're my favorite people, no, no, but because they have shown intimate, genuine love, agape love, filled love, brotherly and 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 unconditional love, are you busy? I know you are busy, and some of you probably even more so now that, you know, all these crazy things are happening. Because I'm sure your children are home and now you have that responsibility to watch over them in their colors, the school responsibilities. But God did not go on lockdown when all this happened here in the United States or on the other side of the world. God did not shut down for business. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that when we are that will return and it's going to be a gradual return. Understand that. That when we return to church, you are counted as part of the 50,000. I mean, we're not going to have 50,000 in our church uh, unless the Lord wills. But I'm praying that those who do come back Back to Ezra chapter 2, verse 2 says, Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Zariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshem, Mizpah, Bigbe, Rahum, and Banah, the number of the, peop- or the men of the people of Israel. Now in Nehemiah chapter 7, he also has a list of these people with this of the book of Esther. the Nehemiah that is mentioned on this list is not the writer of the book of Nehemiah he came later on the scene in 444 BC neither is the Mordecai the same one for the book of Ezra, es- Esther that is a different one but Jeshua here is the same Joshua that is mentioned 23 times uh, in the post meaning the, the books written after the Exodus, the books alongside of the governor or, or the prince of Judah, Zerubbabel, which we know already who it is, and Sheshbazzar Bazar as the same person. Before the 70-year captivity, the southern kingdom was named Judah and only had two tribes. The other 10, ten tribes were part of the northern kingdom, In order for for Scripture to be fulfilled, eventually, after the captivity, of the release of the captivity, people gradually moved back to uh, Judah, or the southern kingdom, and eventually already populated the entire nation of uh, of Israel. Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 7, and also James, chapter 1, verse 1, they mention all the tribes accounted for, not the lost tribes, not ten lost tribes in Jerusalem now continue reading with me in verse 3 the people of Harash 2,172 the people of Shesh 372 the people of Orash, 775 the people of Hath, ha- Moab of the people of Jeshua Joab, two thousand eight hundred and twelve. The people of Elam, one thousand two hundred and fifty-four. The people of Satu, nine hundred and forty-five. The people of Sakai, seven hundred and sixty. The people, the people of Bani, six hundred and forty-two. The people of Dubai, six hundred and twenty-three. The people of Asgad, one thousand two hundred and twenty-two. The people of Adon. 666 the people of Bigby 2056 the people of Adin 454 the people of Adder Hezekiah 98 the people of Bazai, 323 the people of Jorah 112 the people of Hashem 223 the people of Gibar, 95 the people of Bethlehem the men of Depopah, fifty-six. The men of Anathoth, one hundred and twenty-eight. The people of Asmaveth, forty-two. The people of Kirjab, Arim, Shephariah, uh, and Beirath, seven hundred and forty-three. The people of Ramah and Giba, six hundred and twenty-one. The men of Nekmash, one hundred and twenty-two. The men of Bethel and Ai. 223 The people of evil fifty-two. The people of Mag- Magdesh 156. The people of the other Elam 1254. The people of Harim, three hundred and twenty. The people of Love, Adib, and Ono seven hundred and twenty-five. The people of Jericho three hundred and forty-five people, Sanah, 3,630. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time and so that the next verses I can speak a little bit more in detail about the priests, about the Levites, about the worship team even that came along and the sounds of the gatekeepers. Uh, again, all these names coincide with Nehemiah's list. In this, preserved for history to know the names why? because just like God is writing your name if you're saved if you have not not just I mean you're saved your name is already on the book of the Lord the book of the Lamb but also he's keeping track of the things that you are doing for him for his people so that you can receive reward you to receive those crowns that when we see him for the first time and we begin to worship him, we're going to get these crowns and we're going to say, these are yours, Lord. I don't deserve any of this. Father, this is yours, not mine. Take it. And these rewards are for you, but really they're for him because he's the one doing the work. Everything in God's work rises and falls with the leadership to accomplish something. But they have to answer. They have to have a willing heart. And the dedicated men and women who serve God also will be blessed. We will look at. you know, we're not an audience of people who are supposed to just be on the bleachers and looking at the, uh, you know, the one person serving, the pastor preaching, or the worshiping serving. We're called to serve in many aspects, and ministry takes, uh, supposed to be a synergy, meaning that it's supposed to have the energy, the, the involvement of multiple people, we call the body whether it's physically serving, serving behind the scenes, serving, teaching when the elders teach, when the pastor teaches, also behind the scenes, people who are supporting the ministry of God, giving offerings, things that are needed in the church, items, you know, equipment. Who knows? But everybody's. God wants to bless you, he wants to be able to to say this